0: God, your greatness is unsearchable, and I thank you, Lord, that this morning we praise a God who is worthy of all of it and more. Father, we thank you most importantly for your sacrifice, demonstrating what a great love you have for each of us, for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we pray that you would burrow down deep in our heart that message of love, that demonstration of sacrifice and service that your love brought in our life. And I pray this morning, Lord, that it would not just be enough for it to be burrowed in our heart and clearly seen before our eyes, but I pray that it would be demonstrated through our lives this morning, that we would show the world through our actions and words that great, magnificent love shown for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. 1 John chapter 3, please. 1 John chapter 3. Last week when we started the series, we saw that uh, the religious elite at the time in Isaiah's day. In fact, not just the religious elite, it was uh, really the entire country. God said from the tops of their heads to the soles of their feet um, were wicked and they forgot to listen. They failed to listen. On the outside, they seemed very righteous in obeying God's word, but on the inside, they were full of hypocrisy and they had become numb and hardened to the word. And God had warned them that their numbness was ultimately going to lead to destruction, that the continual hearing of the word was only going to further callous their heart, which would ultimately lead to destruction. But God also offered them a remedy. He invited them to himself, saying, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. pray that all of us this morning as we've come into this place, I pray that when our, when our hands first touch the door, Maybe when we were still in the parking lot, we bowed our heads and prayed that God would soften our hearts to his word this morning, and that is my prayer. John chapter, excuse me, First John chapter 3, if you're opening your Bible to just John 316, it's going to read a lot different than First John chapter 3, so just make sure up at the top of your Bible it says 1 John. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. This morning we're dealing with a different type of numbness. This isn't just a numbness to the word of God, as we demonstrated last week in Isaiah six, but now we're dealing with a numbness to the needs of others. And don't worry, in case you're wondering, I'm not putting on a lab coat again this week. I'm not. There are no props. Okay, this is just me and you uh, talking about the word of God. No, no, no. Uh, decorations all right in in the first few verses as we start in verse 16 the verses preceding that John is speaking about hatred he's speaking about darkness and he's using a couple of examples and in and, and those verses before verse 16 he's referring to Cain how he did not love his brother Abel but killed him and he then goes on to say don't be surprised if the world hates you as believers so in those few verses before verse 16, John has painted a very dark backdrop, and he's talking about how Cain killed his brother, did not love his brother, did not show his brother that type of love that he should have. And then he goes on to say that don't be surprised as believers, as followers of Christ, if the world hates you. So we've got hate and murder in the verses, the immediate verses before 16, And then in verse 16, John reveals to us why he demonstrated, why he used that example of Cain's unloving attitude towards his brother and a hateful attitude of the world towards believers because he's throwing that that black backdrop up so he can further, in verse 16, show us in the foreground what true love is. He shows us hatred, he shows us murder, he shows us darkness, and he throws it on the back of the canvas, all for the purpose to demonstrate what a glorious contrast the believer's life should be, both to the world and our brothers as Cain was not. So follow me in verse 16. I want to read verse 16 through verse 24. John says, by this we know love. This knowing, by the way, is an experience. Not knowing of or knowing about, but knowing by personal experience. By this we know love. Because He, Jesus Christ, laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now, He who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us verse 16 this great contrast the great light the great glory that is thrown up on the front of that black dark hateful sinful backdrop is love and I want you to think about this first is that we as believers have a an opportunity to show a love that the world doesn't know anything about We have, as believers, this example. Now remember, he said in verse 16, By this we know love. By what? By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By that great, magnificent, glorious demonstration that He would look down on us as sinful people, undeserving of even anything from heaven. Those of us who had gone astray, had disregarded Him, had disregarded His Word, had never sought Him out. We were vile in His sight undeserving of anything. And yet, in His great love towards us, did not just give us a few drops of love, did not just demonstrate a few drops or ounces of mercy, but as the Scriptures say, He has lavished His love on us. He demonstrated, as He stretched out His hands, that I love you, I want to have a relationship with you, and I am initiating this relationship Through my sacrifice. And He's not just sacrificing Himself for us. He did not just sacrifice Himself 2,000 years ago. He has gone so far as to not just die for us, but to live for us. He's making intercession for us on behalf of the Father. One day soon, He is coming back to get us. And He has given us a name as children, as sons and daughters of God. We think sometimes, or we may think sometimes in our mind, as we go along our Christian journey, that God got it right. We think, yeah, God, when you save my soul, you you got a good one in me, God. You know, the truth of the matter is none of us were deserving. None of us were worthy of that great love that He gave us. You might just remember these two things. The love of Jesus Christ is shown most clearly in two ways, through His sacrifice and through His service. As believers, our love, is best demonstrated as Christ-like when it is sacrificial and serving. If you see, he says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Friends, don't misunderstand this. He did not just in verse 16 show us that we have the example, as I said in point one. He didn't just show us the perfect example. He has given for us the standard of love. That our love is to be the same as Jesus showed us. Jesus told us to love and to forgive one another. How? Just as He has forgiven us. It is not just a, an example, but it is a standard. Notice the second thing. In verse 17 is, is remarkable. He says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brothers in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, as believers, we have this great example and this great standard of love, of sacrificial serving love. But then he says, and the second thing is, that there's a great barrier that stands in the way. So on one side, we have the love of Christ demonstrated in his crucifixion and then there is us, and in between the crucifixion of Jesus Christ stands us meeting people's needs. So we have needs here, there is us, and then there is this perfect example. And what he is saying is that from that perfect example that is to be demonstrated and and given to the rest of the world, he's saying that something stands in the way. There is something that hinders us from demonstrating, exemplifying that crucifixion kind of sacrificial love. And he reveals what it is. He doesn't leave us to guess. He says that this person shuts up his heart. Guys, the name of this series is Numb. These people, for whatever reason, have shut up their heart. Think about what he's talking about in verse 17. By the way, can I just tell you one quick thing? By him saying that these needs were never met because this person shut up his heart. What this tells me is that true love does come from the heart. He's saying that if this valve is shut off, it's not going to flow out of any of these other faucets of our life. He's saying our heart dams up the river of the flow of the love of God as it is intended to go out to other people in verse 17 is really a stark contrast really to verse 16 Think for just a minute. In verse 16, he says we know love because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. So verse 16, John has done what Jesus did and has done what the Apostle Paul has done to raise the standard and the bar of what Christian love really is to make it look like Jesus. So verse 16, he says, this is love. This is living out that example of love that you would even be willing to lay down your life, to give up your life for someone else. But verse 17 is different. Verse 17, the example he gives is a person who has this world's goods and sees his brother's need and does not meet it. Think about the the, the span between verse 16, willing to give your life, willing to lay down your life for someone else on the behalf, for the cause, for the glory of Christ. And then he drops the bar all the way down here to say there are people who see their brother's needs, have the ability to meet those needs, and they shut up their heart. Some of you this morning may say, Pastor, this isn't me. I have needs, and when I, see the, or I have means, and when I see those needs being met, I do it. And maybe some of you this morning, knowing that this is the real heart of the message, maybe some of you this morning have just said to yourself, "Well, I'm going to spiritually check out. I'm going to kick back and I'm just going to wait till the, the last amen and shake hands, because this obviously isn't for me." If you say in your heart this morning, "I have means." I meet needs when I see them. So this isn't about me. Let me just tell you congratulations. Because your heart has just cleared the absolute lowest bar of love. Congratulations if that's you. It's great that you help and meet other people's needs, but that's not the standard we shoot for. The standard we shoot for is that we ought to also lay down our lives for our brethren. You see, if we come in here this morning with a D-minus heart and we're proud of it, there's a problem with that. There's a real problem with that. There are a few things that jump out in verse 17. He says he has the world's goods. This man's not even called to sacrifice. This man doesn't even need to dip down into something that's going to cause a loss for him. This man is not having to give out of something that he doesn't have. This man is not having to sacrifice in the truest sense of the word. He has it, and here's a need. Notice the other word that stands out. He sees the need. He doesn't even have to go look for it. This isn't an issue of a spiritual blindness. This isn't a numbness of the eyes. This man sees it, and yet he still does not do it. He shuts up his heart. He turns himself away from the need. Notice, this isn't even an enemy. This guy isn't even someone they don't like. This isn't an enemy of the cross. This is not a man who has been an enemy of grace. This is not a man who has persecuted or hit you on the cheek. This is a brother. He has the needs. He sees the needs. And it's the need of a brother. One brother. And this man still turns his heart. You know why John put this in there? Because he knew the depths and the hardness that our heart can get. He knew exactly how black our heart can get. Remember, this is not a low standard that we are to overcome. This is the show that we should never reach there. If you say, I do this, Pastor, it's not for me. Let me remind you, Buddhists, Muslims, and atheists also do this type of thing. Buddhists, Muslims, and atheists also will meet people's needs if they have the resources. Your love on that level has not even demonstrated really the love of Christ. The next thing. Why is the barrier there? Why is the barrier there? Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We know by nature that we are naturally self-centered and we want to watch out for ourselves. So we can assume by other passages of Scripture, that we are self-centered. This person may come up, see the brother's need, and think, ah, no, I I don't don't know what's coming in my life down the road. I may have enough now, but I don't know what next week holds. I don't know what two weeks hold. I don't know what three weeks hold. Maybe it is just a self-centeredness that we love things more than we love people. Maybe it's this type of attitude, and I don't know if this has ever affected you, but when you see a brother in this situation that has a need and you can meet it, have you ever been one of those people that says, well, if they would have just saved like I did, they wouldn't have been in this problem. You ever thought like that? Well, if they would have just taken care of their clothes, they wouldn't have had a problem. So we feel justified it's a sense of justification if there is an understood legitimate need and we try to justify it away as though we are we are right in withholding that demonstration and act of love when we have it and we see the need I think that i think that john nails it nails one of the reasons in verse 18 my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. My little children, let us not love simply with our mouth. I think James said it best in James chapter two, verses 14 through 17, when he said, which of you seeing a brother or sister naked or destitute of daily food will turn to them and say, be ye warmed and filled, depart in peace. What does that profit, brothers? Brothers. You know, sometimes I think that when we see a brother, anyone in need and we have the means to do it and we don't, we are awfully very tempted to take the easy way out, the easy involvement. How many of you have ever known? And I don't want you to raise your hands. I just want you to consider this in your own heart. You've seen the need. You had the resources to be able to meet it using John's example, and you didn't meet the need, but simply said, I'll pray for you. Here, let me give you some advice on how you can have the need met. You know, sometimes when we remove our actions and start inserting our mouth, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for people, but that ought to be an action that ought to be joined to the meeting of the need. Are you going to pray for someone else to meet that need? We often refer to our mouth and leave our hands out because it's easy. It's not sticky. It doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't get messy. We don't have to worry about things because we can just feel as though we're doing something spiritual and then turning and walking away. But all the while, the need does not get met. The easy involvement is when we use our mouth. Easy involvement is not... You know, Jesus didn't just tell us he loved us. He showed us. He told us often. But we don't always think of the words that he said. We think of the action that he did. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that there is a hardening of heart through the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe sometimes we're not willing to meet that need. Even when we have the resources for a brother. Because there's sin. Maybe it's a sin that you don't get along with that guy. Maybe you feel justified that they haven't lived their life the right way, so you're going to execute judgment on them and not not meet that need, even though it may be a legitimate need. The number of sin, the the different various sins that could be in the heart of the believer that can harden and callous to keep us from demonstrating is is immense. I, I could spend the rest of the day up here just talking about sin that could hinder us from having a heart, but I pray that the Holy Spirit does that. What are the consequences? We see there's a great barrier. We see why it's there. Our heart's deceitful. We've got to protect it. Solomon said in Proverbs, out of it flow all the issues of life. What are the consequences? What happens in this scenario if we meet that need? And then what happens in this scenario if we don't meet that need? Well, the first thing is this. If you see your brother in need and you meet that need, well, the easy answer is the need gets met. You have just helped a brother. We don't know how much they've been praying. We don't know how embarrassed they were to ask you. But you know what? You were a blessing to someone else. The book of Proverbs says that he that waters will be watered himself. When you give, when you meet needs, not just of a brother, but of a lost person, an enemy, whenever you are meeting needs out of your life, you are not just being a blessing, you are putting yourself in a position to be blessed. You see, it shouldn't surprise us that John says in verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Is it any wonder that John would speak about giving about meeting needs and then tie into that very story plug right into that story that when we are living a life that is right with God we know and have the assurance in our prayer life he is tying our divine resources he's tying the coffers in heaven being open and plentiful to the person who has made it a life decision to meet needs in the name of Christ. You know, I know my prayer life. I don't know what yours is like. But I know oftentimes, we get in that, I get in that attitude where I start saying, Lord, I really need this. Lord, I want this. Lord, give me this. You probably have been there before in your life. And not that it's wrong to pray to receive something that from the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if we took it a step further? What if we realized and really grabbed a hold of this thought that God wants to use me as a channel of blessing in the life of someone else? What if my prayer life changed from God give me to say, God, give me that I might give to someone else. That they might give you glory. Wow, wouldn't that be an awesome prayer to pray to the Lord? Lord, Lord, I want to receive for the purpose that I might. Give it away all for the purpose that you would receive the glory. God wants you and me to be an example of his son. It doesn't matter in what area of life we're talking about. Husbands, you know what? He wants you to love your wife how just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, he wants you to show love to your husband how? In that she reverences her husband as unto the Lord. What those two roles do is when we live out those roles and responsibility in marriage, what that is intended to do is that those that may not know the Lord would look at the way my wife reverences me and see the way that I love my wife and they would be able to say, wow, if my husband or if, if he loves his wife half as much as the Lord loves me, then I want to know that Lord. You say, well, I, I, I may not be married. I have a job though. You know what? There's a responsibility for you. You are to obey your masters, your, your bosses as to the Lord. You're to show them respect and honor there's no area of life where we can get out of loving you know what i love about love what i love what i love about love is this it can be demonstrated on any level of christian maturity it doesn't matter friend if you're if you're just a brand new believer you know what you've got everything you need to be able to show a love like jesus You know what, if you've been a Christian all your life, or at least 75, 80 years, 90 years, 107 years, you got saved when you were five years old and you're 117 now, you know what? You still have everything you need. Why? Because we know love. What else are the consequences? Not only do needs get met or unmet, both are blessed or not blessed. Jesus is love. Jesus' love is shown or not shown. But he goes on deeper and he says in verses 19 through 21, he says, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. By this, what is this? Loving not in word only, but indeed, Loving not in word only, but indeed." And he's saying, by this we know that we are of the truth. We have that assurance as believers. When we love not simply through the tongue, but through the hands and from the heart. When we are able to love like that, we can assure our hearts in part that we are of the truth. If we're not loving like that, maybe we cannot assure our hearts that we are of the truth. If you look in in verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. He's saying that we have the assurance in prayer. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not the only qualification in order to get prayer answered, okay? Okay? There's not some magic, uh, magic uh, number, magic theory, magic uh, thing that, that allows your prayer to get answered outside of faith. But this is one of the things that John is tying it in. Don't worry about your resources in this sense. If you are living life the right way to please God, you are going to have sufficient. And then we see verse 24. Or verse 23, and this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son Jesus and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit that He has given us. By the Spirit that He has given us. When we're living a life of service and love, doing our best to be sensitive to the needs of others, what He's saying is that we have that assurance when we're walking in obedience to God and his word, when we are walking in obedience and sensitivity to his spirit, when we are living lives for the glory and the praise to please God, when we are doing those things that honor him, he's saying we have the assurance that we are of the truth. We have the assurance of abiding in God. We have the assurance in prayer life What does it mean if we're not meeting these things. What does it mean? I would say that we may not have that assurance that we need. Maybe our heart is condemning us. Maybe we don't have that assurance that God really is dwelling in here. Now, some of you may say, Pastor, wait a second. What are you saying? Do you remember what I told you back in the very beginning? There's a great standard. By this, we know love. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the standard. You remember me telling you that John showed us a very low bar? giving us an example to say a person has the need, has the means, a brother has a need, and your heart is so hardened for whatever reason that you turn your back on them. I would say, for a person who fits that qualification, that person whose life is demonstrated in verse 17, they behold they have, and their heart has been shut up, I would say that that person may not know by experience the love of Jesus Christ. If you see that need and you don't meet it, if you are not able to clear even the lowest bar of humanity, I would really wonder if you truly, truly, truly ever had a legitimate, real encounter with Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, those that do not know God often meet that standard. Atheists often meet that standard. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus often meet that standard. What if it was based solely Solely. If our. If our Christian testimony. Was not based off of what we said. Not based off of any other action than how we loved other people. What would that witness say about us? If it was beyond where we are on Sunday mornings at 1030. If it was beyond what we talk about to other people, if it was based solely on how we serve and sacrifice for other people in the name of Jesus, if that was the only standard, what would it say about us? What would it say about my relationship with Jesus? Last point, what is the remedy? What's the answer? The simple answer is this: no love. No, the sacrifice. No, the love that was demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. For you and I. What do I mean by no? I mean to experience it. How do we experience it? We experience it through the Word. We read it. We love it. We sing about it. We talk about it. We think about it. We meditate on it. We ponder it. We remember by faith that sacrifice for me that was unworthy and undeserving of such a gift. And when we allow that to flood our minds, I can't help but believe that it will affect our heart. It softens our heart. The message of the cross for 2,000 years has been softening hearts. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you're saying in your heart this morning, man, just based off the actions of my life, I don't know if I do know Jesus. I, I, or maybe this morning you're saying, I don't know Jesus. I've never had a real encounter with the cross of Jesus. And this morning you say, I need to do that. God on your heart has put on your heart this morning that need, that drawing, that understanding that you are lost will slip into eternity apart from Him without coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. If that's the case, this morning is the day. This is the moment. It doesn't matter how spiritually mature or immature you are. You can walk out of here today. If you trust Christ this morning, you can walk out of here today a brand new man. Former things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have just become a brand new palette for which God can paint His crucifixion and His love in your life by your actions. Maybe it's sin. Hebrews 3 says that we can, be, we can develop a hardened heart of unbelief through the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe that sin in your life is that great barrier that's damming up the flow of God's love for other people. Maybe this morning, as God, I believe He's always been in the business of revealing hearts, investigating hearts, searching every corner, even the hidden parts that we don't like, and He reveals that to us through His Spirit as believers. This morning, are you willing to say, God, I agree with you about this sin you've uncovered in my life? Maybe it is greed, God. Maybe it is a self-centered attitude. Maybe it is anger or bitterness towards other people. Can you say to God, God, I recognize that sin that you've shown me? And God, I ask You to forgive me of that sin as I confess it to You, agree with You that it is sin, and I repent of that sin. I turn from it. I believe God helps us live the life that He's called us to live. I want to ask you for a moment, would you close your eyes with me? We're dealing with a topic that is no small topic. There is really no topic that is more core to the believer than the love of Christ being shown. I don't know what is holding, what may be hindering you from even being able to clear this low bar. But this morning, would you set your eyes higher? Would you say, God, give me a heart, give me a love, give me a life that I'm willing to lay down for your cause? Father, help empty me of my selfish desires. Help me let go of my life and start grabbing a hold of your will. Father, I thank You this morning. I thank You that we don't have to write our own definition of love, for it's already been demonstrated to us. I pray this morning, God, that You would take each of us to the cross. Father, for those that are here that are lost, that have never had a real encounter with You by faith, I pray this morning that today would be the day The moment when we sing that, Lord, those would not allow, would not be able to feel comfortable in their lost condition. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we say amen, that they would come forward to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, I also pray for those of us that do know you, that sometimes may forget the crucifixion. We may forget the sacrifice. We may forget that you gave and loved at the same time. Pray that that would burrow in our hearts and that a change would be made, that sin would be dealt with. And glory would be given to our great God. We pray these things in Jesus' name.